0: And it's all coming undone. We're gonna we're gonna start with the transgendered convention. And we're gonna then take you to the NBA in China. It's all coming undone. We do that in one minute. This is the Glenbeck program. Alright, I just want to go through some some audio here because this is this is crazy. What has been going on? Let's, first of all, let's start with the impeachment. Here's Mike Pompeo. Uh, He hits back on a a PBS host who says there's no proof of Biden wrongdoing.
1: Just finally, you know that there's been no proof of any misdoing on the part of Vice President Biden. (laughs)
0: You all keep repeating that line as if you're working for the DNC.
1: I'm definitely not working for the DNC. I'm an independent journalist but they the European Union the US Embassy in Kiev uh, the uh, International Monetary Fund and other international organizations felt that that prosecutor was corrupt and thought he should be removed there's no evidence that what Vice President Biden was doing was uh, corrupt in some way
0: um, by the way it's now the prosecutor that they all cheered for, yeah. They all cheered for Lusenko to come in and replace Shokin. He was the savior. This yeah. is the guy who's gonna. I mean, no, this is the guy you get one point eight million billion dollars if you go ahead and replace Shokin with Lusenko. It's Lusenko who's saying he's dirty, and we need to investigate. It's crazy. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. And, and by the way, uh, the the U.S. embassy in Ukraine, the U.S. embassy, the ambassador is dirty she was just fired and when you if you just watch look sweetheart i know you're a pbs you've been there since the i think you were there before they even had radio and i appreciate all the hard work that you've done but listen sweetie just watch is that too demeaning it does seem like you're being a tad demeaning yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. that's unfortunate Mm -hmm. i certainly certainly would be disappointed if they would take it that way just watch the chalkboard uh, because the evidence is all there. It's all there. Okay. Let me go to, uh, let me go to, let's see. Mm, let's try CNN's uh, Avalon Crudely. I'd love to see any philosophical consistency in Congress rather than yeah. pure <laughs> situational ethics. But, <laughs>
2: ah, but, um, but uh, you know, the, the problem is a, he didn't need to shout it and B, we don't expect it because everyone's sort of knee-deep in hypocrisy on this stuff. The problem is it is the Constitution at stake. This isn't a Benghazi type hearing. This is really serious <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Benghazi, what was the big deal there? A couple people died. You know, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. No don't big worry deal. about that um i it's like it's a fascinating thing you turn on these you turn on cable news for one night and what you see is such a bizarre painting
0: of what america supposedly is so can i tell you something this is this is what happened in germany there were two newspapers two main news sources in germany uh and in the 1920s they were fine. by the end of the 1920s you could not tell that you were living in the same country they would have the same news reports, but one would say it happened this way, and the other one would say it happened that way, and there was nothing that would s- tell you that it was the same incident. Hmm. And people chose sides: which newspaper do I go? There we are. Yeah, and they didn't listen to the other side, and they just got hard and fast, and that's what led to <gasps> national socialism. Uh, Let me go to uh, the reporter getting cut off by asking the NBA players about China.
2: Incredible, incredible. The lady in second. Thank you. Hi, Christina McFarlane, CNN. Um, the NBA has always been a league that prides itself on its player and its coaches being able to speak out openly about political and societal affairs. I just wonder after the events of this week and the fallout we've seen, whether you would both feel differently about speaking out in that way in future. Um, excuse me, we'll take the basketball questions only. It's a legitimate question. This is an event that's happened this week during – during the NBA, an for
1: the uh, it, this particular question has not
0: yeah,
2: been answered. I James, good for uh, that's a very well crafted question. Um, good for CNN. Yeah, good job.
0: They're asking. So, are you going to speak out about social justice stuff now? I mean, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Yeah,
2: because that they love doing that. They yeah. love doing that. But when it comes down to the social justice of of all these people they supposedly care so much about in China, all these fans that they're so worried about uh, as their entire society is turning into an episode of black mirror
0: they don't seem to be worried about it at all right so so here's the thing the the nba nike all of that stuff is coming undone and i want you to listen to this this real quick because i think the next thing we're going to is the same just a completely different topic the 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 NBA uh, it was one of the first real cash machines in China. They were there very, very early. In fact, it, it, China started to fall in love with basketball back in around 1900. The YMCA uh, missionaries would come over and they would play. And you could play it indoors, and it was physical, and it was fast, and they loved it. Uh, And so the Chinese people started to embrace basketball right around the same time that we did, and it was brought over by American missionaries. Then Mao took over. Well, Mao banned everything that was Western, uh, and so people stopped playing basketball. But what he didn't know is a lot of the generals in the communist military were were basketball fans. They loved basketball. And so they would play secret basketball games with the, the uh, communist generals and they were playing basketball all the way through. So when Mao died and the, and China opened up and Nixon came down, uh, the Chinese generals were all there going, we love basketball. We love basketball. And basketball was brought back in to China and it was brought in by the communist because they loved it so much. What was his name? David Stern. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was the Former commissioner. G- commissioner mm-hmm. of, uh, and why do I know him? There was some scandal with him, wasn't there?
2: Uh, no, there was, not really there. was yeah. There's no
0: reason for me to know him. You and know him I know because him. um,
2: uh, a, f- a friend of yours was is, is friends with him. That's how you know him. Oh, okay. you have
0: like a, 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 you know, you, you don't know David Stern, but you have a couple a, a, couple, a couple step of, uh, you know, from okay. him. Yeah. So anyway, um, so David went in the 1980s. Uh, and he went to China, and he saw their love for basketball. And he said, "You know what? Why don't you guys play highlight clips?" And he actually would mail the highlight clips to China once a week, and they would play it on state television after the censors made sure they cut out everything that might be, you know, bad. Right. So they they loved it. It became very popular, and um uh, so then i think about 1990 they started in on live feeds why don't we just give you the basketball games and you can watch them and run them on state tv now this is still in a time when we only had three channels so they're watching now basketball on the communist television network so the chinese loved it this is in the era of of larry bird and michael uh, jordan and that's as deep as I can go. Magic Johnson. Can you get there? Magic Johnson. Okay, there yep. Okay. So, so this is a really popular thing in China. It starts to explode. Michael Jordan plays a really big role because, you know, Michael Jordan could fly Air Jordans. Nike. So now the NBA and Nike are in early on this Chinese market and it's exploding for them. Nike is making a ton of money way before anybody else. NBA making a ton of money way before anybody else. So they start to, the NBA says, we've got to have our own league there. They start their own league. Uh, It was worth $2 billion. Today it's worth $4 billion. But the clincher is, who's the big Chinese guy from the Rockets? Yao Ming. Yao Ming. Mm -hmm. That's where it really goes Uh, and, and just explodes in China. Now people are watching streaming basketball games from the NBA through the NBA of China on their phones at work every day. They're watching American basketball games that are being played at night here. Okay, So it's gigantic. Nike loves this. The NBA loves this. Both of these have been all into social justice. But both of these companies have been lying to themselves. They've been saying, you know, as long as I avoid the three T's, Taiwan, Tibet, and Tiananmen Square, you don't talk about those things and you're fine. And they have they know what monsters they're in bed with. But they've just been saying, we're just going to avoid those three things. Well, now it's a little more complicated because they have concentration camps. That's a C word, not a T word. Uh, And they're they're taking people's rights away. That's an R word, not a C word in Hong Kong. They're also now, as Stu said, black mirroring their, their entire population. It's not 1982 anymore now, is it? This is coming undone because the American people are seeing this and they're like, I I don't like this. I don't like China with, with I don't mind the Chinese people. I like China itself, but I don't like the Chinese communist government. Look what they're doing. And as they get worse and worse and worse. Nike, and I am so happy to say this, Nike is going to lose in the end, and so will the NBA. Those companies need to wake up, and they need to answer that question, I can't believe I'm saying this, from that CNN reporter. What are you going to do now? Are you going to still talk about human rights? Are you still going to talk about oppression? Are you still going to talk about social justice Nike with uh, Kaepernick? Are you still going to do that? Really? You care about oppression that happened 150 years ago, but you don't care about the oppression that's happening today? This is coming undone. And I'll tie it to CNN and while they speak out of the other side of their mouth. Okay, so now I, I, I want to go to CNN because what did they have? Transgender Night? Uh, CNN I was. Transgender Night. Just okay. like at the uh, bar I go to. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, what did you a, say? It's, it's a, a different kind of uh, Hey, no shame in that. No shame against that. Mm-hmm. Now, so they had everybody together and they wanted to talk about LGBTQ, TI, plus, plus, two plus. Super Quilt, bag. Quilt bag is the better way to Qu- go. Quilt bag is mm-hmm. okay. So they they had a night on that, and let me just give you some of the takes. Here is Beto. If you think that Donald Trump is a problem, oh Donald Trump, he's got so many scandals. Well, okay, let's look. Let's look for somebody that you think is uh, reasonable. Here's Beto. Take away the tax exemptions. Listen to this.
2: Do you think religious institutions uh, like. Colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage?
0: Yes. Yes. So if your church Un- says that the Bible says that it should be a man and a woman, mm. you lose your tax exemption. Or, I don't know, if the Quran were to say
2: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that they shouldn't have gay marriage— mm-hmm. -hmm. Um, So what Beto O'Rourke has come out and done and is Mm -hmm. said is asked for the elimination of tax exempt status for
0: every mosque in America, every mosque, every church, every synagogue. Mm. Okay, gone, Mm. gone, tax exemption. It's kind of like, um, hey, if you question Hong Kong, we're going to uh, stop giving you access to our market. It does, it, does it does seem, seem like that, a little it? bit like that. OK, so here's a CNN audience member uh, talking about black black trans women. Here we go.
2: I just want to take a moment before I ask my question to validate the pain of our transgender siblings that demonstrated earlier and that have especially spoken up today, yeah! especially black trans women. But let me tell you something black trans women are being killed in this country and cnn you have erased black trans women for the last time let me tell you something black Trans women are dying. Our lives matter. I am a sh- extraordinary black trans woman. And I deserve to be here. My black trans so students that are man. here. I am tired. I am so tired. I'm just sitting there. This is and it's not ma'am. just my black trans women. It's my black trans brothers too. And I'm ma'am. gonna say what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say what no, I'm gonna no, no, say. No, 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 I just want to ask you something. I'm come I'm here, gonna, tell me, come it. here. I want you to talk. What's your name? This is I'm Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, let me ask Google you. Google me. Blossom. Please Google me. Blossom. Give let me tell you something. Let me, let me, no, don't come on the stage.
0: Don't come on the stage. Can, on the may stage. I have the mic? Okay. May I have the mic? Blossom, let me okay. tell you something. Brilliantly the done The reason that we're Dunliver. here is to validate people like you. Okay, that's the reason why CNN was there, to validate people like her. They will not validate people in the center of the country who have a different opinion (laughs) on bathrooms or anything else. They will not validate. They will mock. They will call you terrorist. But CNN is there to validate Blossom and people like her. There's going to be
2: a massive security with one of these incidents oh yeah mark my words on this they cannot continue to allow people to walk up and take microphones and step right up to the presidential freaking candidates there's going to be a
0: disaster that comes from this and they because they're so woke they won't stop it okay let me go here nine-year-old trans kid with a question
2: sia and his mom Mimi who is an advocate for transgender youth and active with the Human Rights Campaign. Jacob is an elementary school student from Massachusetts, likes to play hockey. Jacob. All right, Jacob. Hey,
0: um. She's so real. My name
2: is Jacob, and I'm a nine-year-old no. transgender American. Uh-huh. My question is. All right, Jacob.
0: Yay, oh, that's on. great. You're nine. You're nine. And you're transgendered.
2: What will you do in your first week as president to make sure that kids like me feel safer in schools?
0: Okay, stop. What- nothing, nothing. As president, she should do nothing. She has nothing to do with our schools. The federal government has nothing to do with our schools. Let's stop that uh, Jer- uh, Jimmy Carter lie right in its tracks. She can provide a great example, but she should do nothing with our schools. Those are state-run schools. States Take your power back. Uh, let me go to um, uh, Warren now supporting taxes for prisons. Listen to this. In the 2012 campaign uh-huh. uh, for Senate, you criticized the judge's ruling that granted transition-related
2: surgery yep. to a transgender inmate. You said, I don't think it's a good use of taxpayer dollars. Right. Do you regret that? Yep. No, it was a bad answer. And I, I think it was a bad answer. And I believe that... Everyone is entitled to to medical care and medical care. Stop.
0: Last one. Uh, Have you found your president yet? I mean, because I think these people are wonderful. Mm. Uh, Here's Kamala Harris. Now, listen, she introduces herself. Go ahead. Good to see you, Senator.
2: Thank you for joining us. appreciate it.
1: How are you?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) There she is.
1: Thank you, guys. And my pronouns are she, her, and hers.
2: She,
0: her, and (laughs) hers. Mine, too. All right. His too. Uh, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. It's a funny joke. What makes that joke funny? Quickly, Stu
2: well it's because uh it would be ridiculous for him to be a she her and he knows it's ridiculous well, wait a minute hold it just However, a second. it's
0: uh, ridiculous no it's not ridiculous the audience doesn't think that's ridiculous for no him to be they
2: don't and that's the thing he had to apologize for that by the way because Un- he
0: was mocking transgender it's all coming undone because it's all based just like in china all based in lies The Glenn Beck program welcome to the uh, program uh we have uh, ariel davidson uh on with us she's a staff writer at the federalist and she wrote a great article on what trump is doing with turkey trump gave turkey a choice on syria cooperate risked t- catastrophe. And this is what he keeps saying, but she's really laid this out well and I wanted her on to explain it. Uh, Ariel, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Glenn. I'm happy to be here. You
0: bet. So so tell me, t- just go through this, this story for the audience.
1: Sure. Well, when I initially heard that Trump was pulling troops out of northern Syria uh, and I saw sort of the media have a collective meltdown, my initial reaction was, there's more to the story than we are hearing. And I think that's why this piece has resonated with people is mm-hmm. because they sort of went through a very similar thought process. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially what happened in Syria, in order to understand what Donald Trump's move are, moves are, you have to understand kind of where why we got to the place we are. And the reason we're in the situation we are in is because back in 2010, Uh, when Obama was calling, um, or back in the mid-2010s, when Obama was calling ISIS the JV squad, uh, and he realized that ISIS was a much bigger threat than he anticipated, he had to choose allies in the Middle East in order to combat ISIS. And he chose to align the United States with the YPG, which was basically a group of pro-Assad Syrian Kurdish forces. Uh, Now, the issue with that alliance is that those particular groups of Kurds we're seen basically as a terrorist organization by the Turks.
0: Yeah, if you remember, in the course. GOP got involved in this as well. You know, John McCain was seen with these terrorists. And we're like, we're what are we doing? We're in bed with really bad people.
1: Right, exactly. And so he essentially, Obama chose those people because at the time, he was trying to not rock the boat with the Iran deal. So he had to align the United States with pro-Assad, Iran-Cozy people. And that's why he settled on the Syrian Kurds. Now, I don't want to denigrate all the effort and the valiant fighting that the Syrian Kurds have done alongside American troops. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important factor here. But we also have to remember that when we choose our allies, we're not necessarily choosing people that everyone is going to like. And for the Turks, that could not be more true. And so essentially, we posted up these groups of what the Turks would regard as terrorists along the Syrian-Turkish border. This was an unsustainable situation. There was no way that In the long term, um, President Erdogan of Turkey would be okay with this situation. Whatever, regardless of what your feelings are on the Kurds are, that's the perspective that Turkey had. And so that's the situation when Donald Trump entered office, that was the situation that he entered upon. And he essentially gave Turkey two choices. He said, look, we will cooperate with you. We know it's an uncomfortable situation. We can share intelligence with you and maintain the defeat of ISIS. Or if you're that disgruntled, we will just let you be and sort of whatever, wherever the chips may fall, they fall. So if you decide to invade Syria, that's on you. If you want to face international condemnation, uh, have sanctions slapped on you, that's on you. We're not going to support that. We will probably be part of the force that is uh, slapping sanctions on you. But we're giving you these two choices. Choose wisely. And Erdogan made his choice. And so that's what we're seeing unfolding right now. You know, this is Donald Trump has actually been engaging in a a very lengthy uh, diplomatic process to arrive at this unfortunate conclusion. But there were there were no good options here, Glenn.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Ariel. And I don't like being in bed with him in the first place. What gives me pause on this is uh, when you first hear about it, you're like, wait a minute. These were people that we had said are our partners. Well, yes, Uh, but I've I've come to look at it in the last couple of days in the same way that the Soviet Union was our partner against Hitler. That didn't mean we like them. It means we needed to defeat Hitler, just like we needed to defeat ISIS. And we got into bed with some really nasty people, Um, but we're not going to stand around. I mean, you know, Truman comes in and he reverses that as soon as the war is over. The Soviet Union is our enemy. So did we betray them or did we just correctly identify them after the crisis was over?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that's a really apt analogy, but I'm sort of in I'm in the camp of leaving a minimal amount of troops as sort of a deterrent boots on the ground. You know, I don't. I think this idea that we can stay there indefinitely and have massive amount of troops there is just not, lo- it's illogical.
0: Well, and uh,
1: you're
0: Ariel, may I take that? May, of... may I push that back just a bit and see what, how you yeah, respond okay. on this? Sure. We didn't bring those troops home. They just went over to Iraq. So it's not like, right. it's not like these guys were like, Hey, job well done. Come home. They just went to Iraq. Right. Or, uh, I, or, or I, other places in Syria.
1: Sure. my, my, my I'm saying that it's okay to leave a small number of troops in northern Syria in order to act as a deterrent, in order to show also that we don't abandon our allies completely. So this is, a, this is, again, the quagmire that we are in is that we've allied ourselves, like you said, with some not so great actors. But at the same time, we also send a message in the Middle East that we're not good on our word. And I think there is a happy medium between the two. This is something that Ted Cruz Uh, Senator Ted Cruz tried to hit upon uh, in one of his tweets a couple days ago where he talked about how balancing um, our international image is also really important, but bringing the troops home is important as well. And so I think, you know, we do need to recognize that when we enter into alliances, for better or for worse, I mean, these people did lose thousands of lives fighting next to us and joining a war that we told the entire international community was necessary to fight for our national security interests.
0: It
1: is something that's worth thinking about, but again, um, you know, what I wanted to highlight in the piece was that the media treating this as a situation where Trump went rogue or lost his mind is just completely untrue. And it just shows, again, how much the media will avoid talking about Obama's foreign policy legacy because they know if they did, it would show how poor it was. Uh, And they're not prepared to do that. They're constantly, I call the media the janitors of the Obama legacy. Mm. Um, You'll notice that most of these pieces don't bring up the fact that the reason we're in this situation is entirely because of specific choices Obama made to prop up the Iran deal.
0: And getting in bed with the wrong people at the time, which uh, the conservatives were at the time against these people. We were against um, getting into bed with these people and arming them and training them. We were at least i was i was speaking out this is a bad move we're going to pay for this in the end um uh and the media had barack obama done exactly the same thing and said bring the troops home they would have been celebrating the end of the end of war we're finally coming back they would have they would have done all of that stuff uh and so they have absolutely no credibility but i was i was struck by uh your article in the federalist that you really laid out a really good case on uh, what Trump was doing, that this is not just something that he got up in the middle of the night and said, you know what, let's pull our troops out. This has been a long thought out methodical process with him and Erdogan. Um, Do you think that he means it? Because he said, if you start going after the Kurds, um, we're going to crush your economy. Do you believe that? There is a tripwire that we should look for?
1: So, there's two things that I think are important. Um, the first one is that Erdogan is supposed to visit the White House in November. And I think he has that provides some sort of motivation, that's sort of a carrot for him to behave himself. And I do think that it might temper him a bit and it might uh, force him to hold back, which would be helpful, obviously. Uh and the second thing I'll say is that Congress is already busily proposing bills to slap sanctions on Turkey. And I think that's great because as many you know, this sort of um disgruntled pushback from Congress in terms of Trump's move to pull troops out of Syria, good. Have them be angry, have them put as many sanctions as they want on Turkey. That's what we want. That's what we need. We want to use anything we can without resorting to military force. And sanctions is a really good tool for that. One of the reasons that the Iranian regime didn't collapse in 2015 is because the Obama administration lifted sanctions. Mm -hmm. The Iranian economy grew by 10% after we lifted sanctions in 2016. Mm -hmm. So we could have the opposite effect by slapping sanctions on Turkey. So I do think it will be super effective, and I do think it will be a deterrent.
0: Thank you so much, Ariel. I appreciate it. Ariel Davidson, she is staff writer for The Federalist. You know what's amazing to me, Stu, is I think that we are um, we are, in some ways switching positions. Although I, I haven't moved my position, but we are now saying, look, we've learned some really important lessons, and we want sanctions. Sanctions work last resort military we've always said that but the democrats have always said sanctions get out of the you know get out of all of these wars etc but they've now they've now become what they always claimed we were
2: yeah, and this is the problem because Ariel's completely right there, right? The, the the Obama administration's policies have led to this, and of course, the people who are defending Obama would say, "Well, they were responding to Bush's uh, policies," and it mm-hmm. would go. We could go back to the beginning of time with this, yes. I, and it's. No, really only to the beginning of the progressive era but that's another story fair point um when it comes to obama we should also recognize that the only reason we needed to get into bed to defeat isis is because we pulled troops out and isis became powerful because we took the troops out initially yeah right so this this is absolutely uh has uh obama's handwriting all over it but i i keep coming back to this thing and i, I think um the reasoning here is really smart by Ariel, but I one additional aspect I would I would add to this is there's something advantageous Trump is taking out of this. And I don't know what it is yet. I feel like we don't know this whole story yet. But think of it this way. There's 150 troops in there basically in this area. 150. This is not they're not fighting on the front lines. And we keep kind of talking about this in generalities where we're like, should we have people in the Middle East? Should we have people in Syria? Should we ally with these people generally? Uh, You know, do we want our people dying for the Kurds? These are the way these arguments are being made. And and really, it's it's an interesting 50,000 foot view argument, but it doesn't apply to this case. Like the, the, we are not, we do not have these situations going on with these particular troops. They're not on the front lines. They're not fighting this like this. This is they are specifically there as a buffer to stop Turkey uh, from coming in and killing Kurds, right? Because we wanted the Kurds to be alive so they could kill ISIS. Okay. Can okay. we? Can we? Go ahead. Finish your finish your okay. thought, and then I want to. So you have 150 in there. Let's just say Donald Trump said, "You know what? I want to get these troops out of there." And I'm going to pull out 149 of the 150 troops, okay? Now, again, we're not pulling them out. That is an important part of this understanding. They're moving to other parts of Syria and some to Iraq, but they're not coming home. That's not what's happening. They're just moving out of this area in Syria so that the Turkish people, the Turkish army can come in and do their thing, okay? So let's just say he pulled out 149. Well, then they wouldn't do that. Turkey still wouldn't come in, right? Would they come Mm -hmm. in? If we had one troop there and we said, we have a troop there and we're not, do not come in and kill him separately from that let's just say he pulled out all of them and trump said to them you know what turkey erdogan do not go in there because if you do we're going to be really pissed off you better not cross that line is erdogan going to go stand up to the u.s military with that on the line whether we have a troop in there or not just no. trump saying no, no right so what this comes down to is for whatever strategic advantage he believes he's getting at it is is it's trump saying yes he thinks I think this is okay. It could be that he traded something for it. It could be that he thinks it's actually the right outcome. Like he thinks these people are that bad and in the end they should be taken out. Whatever the case may be, there's some advantage that the U.S. is saying, yes, it's okay for this to occur. We think this is a strategic advantage for the United States in some way. I don't think Trump's just doing this because he thinks, you know, because he wants good headlines or something like no. that. There's something. Maybe he's traded it. So I, I, I will say, we, if we get a, uh, a, if we find out that Turkey has launched an investigation into Joe Biden's dealings with Burisma <laughs> tomorrow, I'm going to be very suspicious. <laughs>
0: this is the Glenn Beck program, Stu. I just want to change something uh, in your in your uh, your hypothesis here on that we must have gotten something, or there is this going on, and I think this is more likely. and We'll have to talk to Bill O'Reilly about it. Um, He's not killing uh, our allies. Uh, Turkey wants to kill uh, Marxist authoritarian terrorists who we've known these were bad people Mm -hmm. the whole time. We shouldn't have been in bed with them. Obama got us into bed with them. So I don't really care what happens to Marxist authoritarian uh, uh, terrorists. And that's really what they are. And that may be his motivation. Right. But it's also this. I don't want to be involved in the rest of the world. I don't want to be involved in everybody's battles. And so he is letting the consequences uh, fall where they may. And a longer strategy of his is, I want these wars to end, and I want all of our troops home. Then why move them around in Syria? I I understand that. I understand that. That may have been the compromise, because if you start pulling them home, if it does go bad then you're going to have to redeploy. That may have been a compromise he made with the Pentagon. We've got 13,000 ISIS I know. troops I know. It's captured, not... and if they get loose, we're going to be back I... there with a lot more troops I... than 150. I agree with you. I understand that. But I think that's what Trump is doing. We'll talk to Bill O'Reilly about it next. This is the Glenn Beck Program.